This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net. I'm here with Dr. Claire Burke and Maisie Rashman from the Astrophysics Research Institute, Liverpool John Moores University, and we're here at EWAS. So welcome, thank you for agreeing to do a Jodcast interview with us. I was in your talk yesterday about your work. It's incredibly interesting, and I feel like you're the best person to sum up what you've been doing, so I will hand over to you to give us uh, an overview, I guess, of your research. We're astronomers, and we've been working with conservation ecologists to help save endangered animals and catch poachers. How we do this is using drones with thermal infrared cameras attached. And when we look at animals with thermal infrared footage, we're looking at their body heat and they glow. And this kind of glow is the same kind of glow that stars and galaxies in space have. So that means that we can use techniques and software that we've been using in astronomy for decades to automatically detect the animals. Once we've detected them, it turns out that every different species of animal has a unique thermal fingerprint. And we can use this to tell automatically if we're looking at elephants or rhinos or humans or monkeys or anything else by applying a machine learning algorithm. So I guess the big question is, how did you get into this from doing astrophysics? The opportunity to apply my knowledge and skills that I've picked up in astrophysics to a real world problem down here on Earth was really, really exciting. And when I saw a job advert for using drones and astronomy to to help save endangered animals, I just leapt at the chance. How did this cross-disciplinary collaboration come about between you and your colleagues? So this collaboration genuinely came about because an astronomer and ecologist lived next door to each other. And one day they were having a chat over the back fence. And the ecologist was telling the astronomer about how they like to use drones to do conservation and how they wanted to use thermal cameras to look at the animals because the animals stand out really brightly in the thermal imaging. But he said that they were having a bit of trouble understanding the data, understanding what they were seeing in the footage. And the astronomer says, well, we've been using infrared data in astronomy for decades. We've got loads of tools to help deal with this. And that was how the collaboration was born. What is it that you both have been doing day to day on this project? What is your typical day working on this? So I've mostly worked so far on actually building up our algorithm. So I've been looking at how astronomy software finds stars and galaxies in data and applying the same principles to animals. So daily day to day tasks tend to be that I'll fire up my computer I'll write a bit of code, I'll test it on our data, and also at the same time I'm looking at parameterizing our cameras to make sure that we're getting the best data as possible so we can put that into our algorithm and get really good results out. A lot of what I do day to day is sort of understanding how the environment affects what we can and can't see with the camera, because obviously the weather affects whether or not we can fly the drone at all. But if it's a very hot and humid environment, then a lot of the thermal radiation from the animals will be absorbed before it even gets to the camera. So I've been working on trying to understand and parameterize that so we can deal with it. Also, it turns out the ground can be a really big source of thermal infrared. As the sun comes up, the ground heats up with it. And in the middle of the day, the ground in in warm countries in, say, Central Africa can be as warm as the animals are trying to look at. So we've been trying to optimise what time of day we fly the drone for one so that we can actually see the animals and if there's any kind of background subtraction we can do to get better data. So are there any particular animals that you've been looking at so far and what are your plans for this uh, into the future? So we've been working very closely locally with Nosley Safari and Chester Zoo to do long-term studies of their rhinos. So there's quite a few infants that are born every year, and there's at least two at Chester Zoo, and there's one currently at Nosley, that we're able to do long-term studies as they grow up to see how rhino development affects the thermal profiles. We've also been able to go to Africa and see rhinos in the wild and take data of them. So we're very keen to have a look at large megafauna that are particularly vulnerable to things like poaching and habitat destruction. We actually did our first field test of the system last year in September. We went to South Africa to look for the riverine rabbit, 
which is the most endangered animal that you've never heard of. There's only about 200 of them in the wild. And we flew the drone in the desert. It's obviously a very difficult place to survey on foot. And with the drone, we were able to catch five sightings of the Riverine rabbit. And being as it's only been seen about a thousand times in history, this was a really big success for us in showing that the drone could be used to track endangered animals. How do you know that you've seen a rabbit? Because, especially from a drone, do they all not just look like small, hot blobs? So we actually work on making sure that our drone flies at a height where our animals can appear quite uh, visible to us. So we want to be able to see the shapes and the contours of their body. So we were able to fly our drone quite low, between 50 and 20 metres. And that way in our data, we could definitely see the rabbit's ears and the rabbit's tails and its legs and things. Also, while we're training the algorithm, we have someone who's actually looking at the, the things that we're trying to see to make sure that we are actually seeing the things that we want and that we've got a definite label on all of our training data. So we know that that's a black rhino and the other one is a white rhino, for example. So is that just one person, a couple of people? Is, is there any scope for opening this out to citizen science, for example, doing something like uh, Galaxy Zoo does? So we're actually planning to use Galaxy Zoo because in order to for a machine learning algorithm to be able to tell the difference between different animals, we first need to train it on a training data set, which means that we'll likely be setting up something where the general public can classify all the different animals that we've got data from so that we can train the machine learning algorithm to know what different types of animals are. Obviously, one of the main aims of this project is to use it for conservation and looking at endangered species. You mentioned it's been looking at rhinos. Is there any potential for this to get into the wrong hands to be used as a tool for the poachers dare i say it so we actually have a lot of policies in place to make sure that although we want our data to be accessible we have to have people registered with us and registered with an institution or a conservation group so that we can ensure that the best possible people are actually using our software whereabouts would you like to see this work end up in the future everywhere everywhere <laughs> At the end of the day, we would like this to be used all over the world for pretty much any animal that is warm-bodied. We want to make the system be as automatic as possible, so the drone will fly itself. All that the conservationist has to do is outline an area on a map, and the drone will survey that area. And it will all be automatic. So while the drone is flying, a user with a screen in their hand will just get a notification whenever it sees an animal, and it will say, this is a rhino, and it's at this location. This is an elephant, it's at that location. This is a man in the bush, he's over there. And then the game wardens can respond in real time and actually do something effective when it comes to poaching and conservation. We'd also hope to be able to modify this for search and rescue purposes. So we're working with the RNLI and some local rescue groups to actually work on making sure that not only can we detect poachers in data, we can also detect people and animals who are in distress in data too. We find things like we can see a lot further through fog than humans can or with RGB cameras. So we find that this is really great for marshy areas and areas of maybe low tide that quickly turns a high tide that could potentially put people in danger but then be very hard to survey by search and rescue teams. Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much for joining me, uh, both of you, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference.